0: Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. And I wonder if I can ask you a question today. If there's one thing that unites all of us, okay, on planet Earth, whether you're male, female, black, white, Christian, non-Christian, young or old, it's this, we all want to be fulfilled, right? I mean, we all want to be fulfilled. We all want to live a fulfilled life, don't we? Which is why I think that song that came out in, in, I think it's the 80s now, that some of you will remember. um, U2 classic, what's the song? We climbed the highest mountains. Still haven't found what I am looking for. And the reality is that so many people would almost take the sentiment of that song to say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And this is true, whether you have faith or not, whether you you, uh, are rich or poor, there's something within us that we just can't quite manage, this thing called fulfilment. And and when you're a child, the prayers you pray are often around fulfilment as well. So here's some kids' prayers. Uh, This one kid says, "Um, Thank you for my baby brother, God, but I really wanted a puppy. There's that fulfilment. And another baby brother one. Dear God, would you make me a little brother? I want someone to boss around. (laughs) And there's that kind of sense that a child prays for, in a childish prayer, is about my happiness and my fulfilment. But a grown-up prayer around fulfilment is a whole different deal. One of my favourite quotes is a quote by a lady called Mary Oliver. She says this, tell me, What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Don't you love that? With your one wild and precious life. What are you, what are you going to do? We've only got one life, haven't we? We've only got one. What are you going to do with that one wild and precious life? And so I've called the title of today, What Will You Do With Your Life? Because you have a choice and so do I. And this is a choice whether you're a follower of Jesus or not. Because you might say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's what I'm going to do with my life. But are we living that one wild and precious life for Him or not? We're going to look at that together. So over the last five weeks, we've been looking at this series, Grown Up Prayers. Uh, Week one, we looked at the first prayer, which is the prayer of connection. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then Stuart did a great job looking at the prayer of surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then I came back and looked at two prayers: the prayer of provision, "Give us this day our daily bread," or as one uh, translator says, "Give us this day bread suited to our need." And then the prayer of release, "And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors." And then I watched in Albania what a great job Jane did last week as she shoved that donut <laughs> gleefully into her mouth. She would practiced that. I feel uh, it was brilliant. But this prayer of protection, "Lead us, comma, not into temptation, but deliver us." From the evil one. And all of these prayers are grown up prayers. But I want to finish it off with grown up prayer number six, which I've called the prayer of fulfillment. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Problem is, that's not in the Bible. Did you know that? Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever isn't actually in the Bible. It's not in the version in Matthew, and it's not in the version of Luke. Unless you go King James Version, obviously Gareth and Sophie don't do King James Version, (laughs) which is fine, neither do I. But in the King James Version, that verse is there, but there's some discrepancy in original manuscripts about whether it was there originally or not. And what happened is that the early church formulated this prayer. Some scholars think it was in the original manuscript, some don't. So there's a little bit of controversy there, but it doesn't matter, because they formulated this as a technical term, as a doxology. In other words, it's an ending of the whole prayer. And I think it's really, really valid because actually this ending really takes us back to the beginning. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Grown-up prayers start in God and are all about God. And we get caught up in the middle of history. And of course, history ultimately is his story, isn't it? And grown up prayers, and I want to suggest a fulfilled life can only start in God and end up back. In God as well. So, yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory is a great way to finish this incredible prayer because it gives us, it breaks down these three things. Okay, and this is what I want to suggest to you is all about um, a, a fulfilled life. It's this it's in God's kingdom, by God's glory, by God's power, and for God's glory. In God's kingdom, by God's power, and for God's glory. That's what we're going to consider in our time together today. What does it mean to live in God's kingdom, by God's power, and for God's glory? And if you're not a person of faith, okay, right now, and you're checking this out, I want to invite you into this fulfilled life. Because I don't believe that you'll find what you're looking for outside of this. And if you are a Christian, but you're not fulfilled, maybe you're not living the life that God has invited you to live. And so we're going to break it down. So firstly, in God's kingdom. So we find fulfilment when we are in God's kingdom. How do we know if we're in God's kingdom? Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 33, famous verse, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You want to be fulfilled? You want to live a fulfilled life? You want to have a fulfilled family? You want to have a fulfilled job? That's all good, but what comes first is the kingdom of God. What comes first is to seek the kingdom of God. And I saw this, uh, this is a Rick Warren thing. I, I like it, it's an acrostic. It's first, and he breaks it down by, by saying, going a little bit granular. What does it mean to put God first in your finances? And he's spoken a little bit about that today. In other words, many people, when it comes to their finances, even followers of Jesus, that they operate like this. They go, okay, I'm gonna spend, then I'm gonna save, and then anything left over, I'll give. So I'll spend, in other words, I'll pay my debts, I'll pay my bills, on my mortgage, or my food, and all of that, all important. And then if there's anything left over, I'll save. If there's anything left over from that, then I'll give. But to put God first flips that upside down. We give first, don't we? We give first because God has given to us. And then we save, and then we spend. And that's a whole different way of putting God first. And I want to encourage you, put God first. What about interests You know, We talked about films and holidays and books and coffee and all of that's great. But what would it mean to put God first in our interests? And that means that when we're doing our stuff, do we invite God into that space? Do we invite God into that gym? Do we invite God into that restaurant? Do we invite God into those um, uh, interests that we have? What about our relationships? What does it mean to put God first in our relationships? I was... Um, some of us were in Albania last week. You know that we oversee a church in Albania. And it was so beautiful for me to be there because some of my friends from Bulgaria were there as well. Uh, one of the fellas I've known since 1992, I met him in 1992 when he was 16. And we've been through so much life together um, over the years. And actually, when I was there with. Um, the Albanian guys who we love dearly and many of them are, are getting married this year which is exciting so I'm getting to know their, their partners doing a bit of relational uh, work there as well and seeing these guys from Bulgaria and, and, then, and then just thinking, God, relationships are so rich, aren't they? Let's put God first in our relationships. Um, are you in a relationship right now which actually you know is not God's best for your life? Then if you put God first, that has got to affect relationships as well. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What about schedule? What does it mean to put God first in our schedule? For me, it means as I wake up, I want to put God first at the start of the day. It's really important to me. It means also that throughout the day, I want to be aware of God. But at the start of the day, I want to put him first. It also means the first day of the week, which is Sunday, there's something significant about giving a day where I say, God, we want to honour you on that day. And I want to encourage you, especially in families, what would it look like if your family schedule put God first as well? In other words, let's see how many clubs we can fit in. Let's see how many activities we can fit in. And if we've got any space left over, then maybe we'll think about God. What would it look like if we put God in first and built everything around that? Just a thought. What about troubles? How many of you hit troubles in your life? Okay, all three of us. The rest of you are lying. When we hit troubles, when we hit troubles, is God our first resort or our final resort? When we get that, when we get that from the doctors, when we get that from the bank manager, when we, when we get that from the boss, when we hear about trouble, when, when our kids, when we get that phone call, when we get that text, is God our first resort or is he our final resort? We've tried everything else, well now we'll try God. What does it mean to be in God's kingdom? I think it means that we put God first. I love what Gareth said there about us wanting to honour God as a church and we absolutely do. We want to reach people who don't know Jesus, so we do a few crazy things, okay? And we do a bit of stuff out there, and we have a rodeo bull out, and we're a little bit different, but we want to put God first. We love God more than anything else. So, in God's kingdom means we put God first. And so, the grown up prayer is Yours is the kingdom, and I surrender. The next slide, please. Yours is the kingdom. And I surrender. What happens in the old cowboy movies? I watched a really, really bad cowboy movie. I love cowboy. Anyone else like cowboy movies? Yeah, only me. I love them. I love them. And I watched this really bad B movie on Prime over the weekend. It was so bad. But there's that bit when the gun goes in the back. What happens? The hands go there, don't they? Yours is the kingdom, and I surrender. But then the prayer says, by God's power. By God's power. Let me tell you something shocking. I cannot live the Christian life. Andy cannot live the Christian life. Hannah cannot Jane cannot, cannot live the Christian life. None of us can live the Christian life. Only one person can live the Christian life, and his name is Jesus. So in other words, in other words, it isn't about me trying hard that enables me to live the Christian life. It's about Him living His life through me. That is about by His power. And we need to get this because many of us as Christians, and I know I'm in this category and have been so many times, I don't feel fulfilled. Why? Because I'm trying to live it all on my own. I'm trying to do this Christian thing and it doesn't feel. And some of you are bored with Christianity right now. Some of you are frustrated. Some of you are even thinking about quitting. And this is the moment I believe God wants to speak to you. One of the reasons we think about quitting is that we've been trying to do it all on our own. And we're not fulfilled because we're not realising that we cannot live the Christian life. Only He can live it by His power. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians chapter three when he writes to this church at Ephesus. Paul was a guy that didn't like Christians at all. He went went around persecuting them and hurting them and killing them and then Jesus met him and his life was transformed. And then he planted churches and, and he planted a church in a place called Ephesus and he wrote to the people. And this is what he said, one of the prayers. He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. And he goes on to say, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power, there's that word power, together with all the Lord's holy people. Then to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know, and that word know doesn't just mean knowledge, it means a, a deep a revelation. Know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Isn't that a great prayer? That's a grown-up prayer. Paul saying, I want to pray that you would know what it is to live by God's power. Not by your own effort and energy, but by the power of God inside of you. And you know, Jesus, just before he ascended and went to heaven, he said to his followers, his disciples, hey, wait to Jerusalem and you're going to receive the gift I promised and you will be clothed with power from on high. Clothed with power from on high. And that's an interesting phrase, clothed. And in the Old Testament, there's a story of a guy called Gideon. You might have heard of Gideon. He was was this kind of... um, Israel fella, Jewish fella. And, and he, was, he was young and he, was, he felt weak and he, was, he had real image, self-image issues. Um, and God called him one day to, to fight the enemy and to do something amazing for his nation. And, and, and he said, like you're joking, you know, you're like, I'm the smallest, I'm the weakest, our tribe is the weakest. And there's no way I could do that. And eventually after all the excuses, you see, God said to him, the Lord will be with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's like looking around saying, who are you talking to? You know, I'm not a mighty warrior. Because you see, God sees you not as you are, but as you will be. And God sees many mighty warriors here today. God sees many mighty warriors, not warriors, warriors in our sights. And that's who he sees. Because he doesn't see you as you see yourself. He sees you from completion and he sees you from who you will be. But you will only be that by God's power. And then later on, when Gideon says yes to God, there's a moment where the Bible says the Spirit of God clothed himself with Gideon. So that's in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus says that you will be clothed with power. So Old and New talks about being clothed with the Spirit of God. And I'm thinking to myself, what does that mean? So, um, thank you, Andy. So, I want you to imagine that if I'm going to be clothed, okay, if I'm Gideon right now and I'm going to be clothed with power, then surely this is what it means, that I'm Gideon and God's power is like a cloth that I'm going to put on. So in other words, what we do is every morning, we get up and say, okay, God, I'm going to be clothed with your power, so I'm going to put you on like a jacket. The problem is when I looked at the meaning of the word, it doesn't mean that at all. Actually, it's completely the opposite. So it's not like, this is Gideon and this is God, it's actually, this is God and this is Gideon. This is God and this is Gideon. This is God and this is me. In other words, I'm not putting God on. In one sense, God is putting me on. Okay, watch it, hold on to the theology at the moment. Okay, what's actually happening is that what God is looking for every single day is someone like you and me, who are so open to him that we would be like a jacket that he could fill with his power and that he could move through life and that he could touch the world through us. Isn't that amazing? So what would that look like if every single day of my life and your life, we said, hey, yours is the kingdom and I surrender. Yours is the power and I receive. In other words, God, I'm like this kind of empty jacket. Would you fill me today with your power and your life and would you live your life through me? How would that translate into Monday? What happens tomorrow? When you go into your school or your college or your uni or your workplace or your factory or your community and you go in and start of the day because you... Because you want to be in God's kingdom. So you, you made him first and then you want to live by God's power. So you say, God, I surrender to you today. I receive your power. Would you fill me by your power, by the power of your spirit? Would you clothe yourself with me? In other words, would you put me on like a set of clothes that you could move through me and touch other people's lives for your glory? Wouldn't that be amazing? In God's kingdom, by God's power. And then, thirdly, for God's glory. You see, you see. Here's the thing: yours is the kingdom, and I surrender. Yours is the power, and I receive. And our final thing here: yours is the glory, and I worship. Oh, so we're going to sing again? Well, we are, but not yet, because actually, worship isn't always about singing. Singing is part of worship, it's not the whole entirety of worship. And I want to dive a little bit deeper. I'm aware that there are many of you who are not yet followers of Jesus, but there's a whole bunch of you who have recently become followers of Jesus. And I want to talk to you for a moment and maybe remind some of those Older in the faith people, not necessarily older, but older in the faith people about worship because we get it really confused. You see, the meaning of the word worship, worship means reverence and respect. It's about bowing down. There's a sense of, of, of honor and all that. But the Anglo Saxon word worship for worship is workskipe, which is where, which is kind of means worth ship. It's where, where do we give our worth? What's really worth? will will demand our, what's worthy will demand our worship. And that's what it really, really means. And so Jesus is not looking for worship, says in John chapter four, he's looking for worshipers. He's looking for people who live their lives in such a way that they show and evidence who is worthy in their lives. It's not about how loud we sing or how high we put our hands in the air. It's about how we live our lives guy so called A.W. Toes a great English uh, great writer. He said this, true worship, worship that is pleasing to God radiates through a person's entire life. Like an entire life. You can tell what or who you worship by looking at your bank balance. You can tell what or who you worship by looking at your diary and your schedule. You can tell who or what you worship by looking at your character. You can tell who or what you worship by looking at your relationship. By looking at your entire life, that tells somebody who or what you worship. What is worthy for you. And you know, one of, one of the things about worship, one of the things about understanding the Bible is there's something called the law of first mention. Whenever you see something or hear something or read something for the first time in the Bible, it's especially important. Okay, so the first question ever in the Bible was when God said, where are you? That was the first question when Adam and Eve were hiding. The first time worship was ever mentioned in the Bible, there's no singers anywhere to be seen. There's not even a Holy Spirit cord keyboard in the background. There's nothing. There's Abraham. There's his son Isaac. And God asked Abraham to do something, which in our modern mindset, okay, and I'm aware that if I go into this, it's going to set a whole load of rabbits off. It's incredibly horrendous. We can't even understand it, but there's a context. He asks him to do something with his son, which is so abhorrent to us okay, in our culture that we can't understand why would God do that. But there's a context for it, okay? He asked him to basically sacrifice his own son, okay? Now, now hold on to it. Don't get sidetracked by that. There was a reason, there's a context. God's not bad, okay? Just bear with me. But basically, here's what's interesting. Abraham, even though he couldn't understand why God would want him to do that, was obedient. And he just kind of said, God, I don't. And here's the thing. Abraham said, okay, we're gonna go over there. And he said, we're gonna go over there and we're gonna worship That's the word he used, worship. The first ever mention of the word worship in the Bible was when Abraham said, I can't understand this, God. This doesn't fit with who I know you to be. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But God, you're God and I'm not and I'm going to go. And this is worship. And he went there and God stopped him because he didn't want him to sacrifice at all. And There was a whole change then, and the whole culture changed and the whole story of God changed. And they came back together and through Isaac came Jacob and the whole history of of Israel and us and all of that. But isn't it interesting that the biggest, deepest, most difficult part of obedience was what Abraham called worship. You see, worship isn't about how much we sing. Worship is about how we live our lives before God. And this word, this word that you and I hate, obedience, is really, really important. It's really important. And as I was thinking about it, in fact, I was going over this talk this morning, like, like I do, and I was thinking about it, and I was reminded of a really old story that I heard years and years ago of, of a woman whose first marriage had been horrendously difficult. And her husband had, had made her do all kinds of things. And, and she just lived an incredibly uh, oppressive life. And eventually he died. And she married again. And after a few years, she uh, was cleaning out uh, the, uh, the wardrobe in, in, the, in the bedroom. And um, there was an old uh, shoebox up on the top. And she got the shoebox down and she opened it up. And there was, there was memorabilia and bits from her previous life, from her first marriage. Uh, and, and she was a little bit tearful. But then she found this, this note and were written all the things her first husband had made her do. And she sat there on her bed with tears running down her cheeks. She looked and she thought... These are the things I do for my new husband without him even asking. See, that's what love does, isn't it? That's what love does. And Jesus puts it this way in John 14, verse 15. If you really love me, I love it how the Amplified puts really. If you really love me, you will keep and obey my commandments. Now listen, you can hear this in two different tones of voice. Andy, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't normally talk to him like that. Can I, just, can I just make it really clear? Yes, like I want to. <laughs> He's got appraisals coming up this week. so. Or you can, hey Andy, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, you can hear it in two different tones of voice, can't you? You will, or you just will. Because here's the thing. The deeper the love, the deeper the obedience. And the deeper the obedience, the deeper the fulfillment. And so when you and I, learn to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our strength and all of our might, then we just will keep those commandments because we'll want to, not because we have to, but because we want to, because the deeper the love, the deeper the obedience. The deeper the obedience, the deeper the fulfillment. So what about you today? As we draw our series to a close, we're going to spend some time in a moment and we are going to sing and we are going to worship and we are going to celebrate God together but what about you? Is there a step of obedience some of us need to take today? Maybe for some of us, you're thinking, well, I want to take a step towards God and, and you can do that. And we would love to help you with that. Maybe some of you, you have done that. You've said yes to God. Your next step of obedience is baptism. We've got a baptism in two weeks time and it's not too late. Today, you could take that step of obedience. Maybe for some of you, your step of obedience is to start giving financially. Maybe it's to start serving. Maybe it's to start connecting in. You know, you've been coming for a while, but you know, the Bible talks about one another's. Well, you can't one another each other if you're on your own. So maybe your step of obedience is to connect in, is to serve, is to give a little bit. Get some skin in the game. Because the deeper the love, the deeper the obedience, the deeper the obedience, the deeper the fulfillment. I want to say the deeper the connection, the deeper the fulfillment as well. Many people in church don't feel connected because they're not putting anything in. And you wonder why you don't feel fulfilled because you're not actually investing. You're not putting anything in. There's no skin in the game. Maybe for some of us, the next step of obedience is this, hey, I'm not going to just come to church and be a consumer. I'm going to invest and invite. I'm going to reach people in my world for Jesus as well. You see, many people, I'll tell you what, the most consumer people on the planet are Christians. And this really drives me to distraction because most people leave churches not for missional reasons, but because it doesn't quite suit them. The worship isn't quite what they want. The preaching isn't quite what they want. It's not all geared around them. We are the most consumer we can be. We've lost the sense of who it's all for and who it's all about. And one of my favourite books called Unstoppable Force, over McManus, he says it this way, and I love this. Our motto degenerated from we are the church, here to serve a lost and broken world, to what does the church have to offer me? This move has made the pastor the only minister while making the members the only recipients of ministry. What is lost in the process is an army of healers touching the planet. Come on, we need to be an army of healers touching the planet, don't we? Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's not all about us. It's about all those who don't yet know Jesus. You know, When I was walking around the field yesterday with our family and uh, the carnival and all those thousands and thousands of people, and I thought, these are the people that Jesus died for. And when we get stuck in church and we get so focused around little things and small things and we forget the fact that there's a whole whole group of people that need Jesus and that need eternity and we've got to do that and we've got to become that army of healers touching the planet. (laughs) Tony Adams was a footballer uh, many years ago, some of you remember him. I love this little quote, I said it a few weeks ago. You play for the name on the front of the shirt and they'll all remember the name on the back. And I love that because the name on the front of our shirt is not Life Central Church. It's not Elim. It's not Leon. It's not us. The name on the front of our shirt is Jesus, right? And when we pray for the name Jesus, okay? They'll remember the name at the back. Who cares on the name on the back? We want to be those who who give ourselves for him. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And then at the end, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at it this way. Yours is the kingdom, and we surrender. Yours is the power, and we receive. Yours is the glory, and we worship. I want to invite you, if you're willing and able, to stand in our sight, stand with us as well, guys. And I thought about this for a while, about whether to do this or not. I am going to do it, okay? And, And you know, one of the reasons that we some of us put our hands in the air. It doesn't make you more spiritual when you put your hand in the air when you sing, all right? Uh, it doesn't make you more spiritual, but what it can do is it can help you by uh, your posture. By what we do physically it can help us spiritually as well. So I want to, to lead you with something, if, if, if this isn't too weird for you all, and please in our sights as well. Do it online as well if you want, okay? Yours is the kingdom, and we surrender. Why don't we do that together? Yours is the kingdom. And we surrender. But yours is the power, and we receive. And yours is the glory, and we worship. So why don't we say it together, with the hand movements as well? Because what the hand movements hopefully will help us to do on Monday is help us to remember what we've said on Sunday. So at the start of every day, let's say it together. Yours is the kingdom, and we surrender. Yours is the power, and we receive. Yours is the glory, and we worship. Let's go one more time. Yours is the kingdom, and we surrender. Yours is the power, and we receive. And yours is the glory, and we worship. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, and we praise you today for this incredible prayer, this incredible grown-up prayer that you have taught us. Jesus, may we live this prayer out, not just repeat it, parrot fashion, but live it out in our lives. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And Yours is the glory. And so Lord, today, the end of this series, may this be the start of something new and fresh in all of our lives. And God, maybe there are some of us here, and we've grown a little bored and a little unfulfilled and a little frustrated. Maybe even with our faith, God, may today we decide to go deeper. Because the deeper the love, the deeper the obedience. And the deeper the obedience, the deeper the fulfilment. May we be men and women. May we be people who go deep into you and go deep into our world in mission for the sake of our planet, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's celebrate, let's worship.